Would you pray with me? And God, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in the roaring 1920s, a group of writers gathered in a hotel lobby to share a drink. And among them was famed author Ernest Hemingway. And as good pals sometimes do, Hemingway put a wager on the table. The bet that he could write a full story in six words. Now, some of his friends assumed that Ernie had had one too many, so they were eager to say, yeah, we'll take that bet, and they put their money on the table too. Hemingway took a napkin, he wrote six words on it, and passed it around the table. It read, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. The authors gave over their money because it was indeed a full story. Now, that tale is a bit of a tall tale. It most likely never happened, although the internet will say that it did, and if it's on the internet, it must be true. (laughs) And despite all of that, it has influenced lots of people to write books and online communities and articles that inspire people to write six-word stories or memoirs about their own lives. And here are four examples. I still make coffee for two. I have time to fix this. Old too soon, smart too late. That would apply to a lot of us probably. And suddenly we were strangers again. I see, a lot can be said in six words. In today's scripture passage read by my wonderful father, It's much more than six words, but tucked inside this account of the road to Emmaus is a powerful four-word story. But we had hoped. But we had hoped. On Easter Sunday, all across the U.S., people gathered to celebrate and to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We sang confidently, and perhaps with a little bit too much familiarity, that Jesus was alive, that because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Now, pass the ham, find the eggs, and let's take a nap. But on that first Easter Sunday, it was a different story. It began dark, and it remained dark for many of Jesus's closest followers. At First Baptist on Easter, we listened to Mary Magdalene's powerful account of an of meeting the risen Christ in the garden outside the tomb that morning. And afterward, she ran to go tell the others, as Jesus had commanded her to do, that Jesus was indeed alive. But some didn't believe her. How could they believe such a fantastic tale? So later that same day, that first Easter Sunday, hearing from the women but not believing their reports, two of Jesus' closest followers left Jerusalem and they headed to Emmaus, which was a seven-mile walk. Now, Professor Robert Hoke wrote this, some walks are longer than others, not because of the miles, but because of the burdens carried. It was a seven-mile walk, a walk you would notice in your body, but the real path they were walking was vastly longer and more difficult. It was the walk of hope in shambles. 
It was the walk taken through the valley of disillusionment. You see, the week in Jerusalem had started off so great. Jesus had entered into the city with cheers and a royal parade. But by week's end, Jesus would be dead in a brutal and horrifying and humiliating crucifixion. And these two followers, they they waited three days afterwards, after that horrible Friday, because they were having hope. They carried hope that Jesus' promise about the resurrection in three days would be true. But nothing. No Jesus. I mean, yes, the women had seen him, but the men had not when they'd gone, and so, no, nothing. No Jesus. So disillusioned and defeated, These two, known only as Cleopas and a companion who may have been his wife. We always assume another male, but it doesn't say that. Cleopas and this other, they leave and they head back to Emmaus. But we had hoped. You can understand that. We all can understand that. We all could tell stories of something that happened that we hoped would not happen. But we had hoped the cancer would heal. But we had hoped that the marriage or the relationship would last. But we had hoped to get into that school or to get that scholarship or to have that recognition. But we had hoped that the promotion would come. But we had hoped that that legislation would pass or that legislation would not pass. But we had hoped that the children would be safe but we had hoped that one that we loved would be with us longer. But we had hoped, but we had hoped. With this forward story, we hear how those disciples of Jesus felt immediately after his death. And with those four words, we hear our own stories of disappointed hopes and letdowns in life. But we had hoped, now what? Now what? You see, Jerusalem was full of memories and dead dreams. Around every corner was something these two wished to forget and not remember. It was painful and a reminder of hopes defeated. The city was full of disappointment and death and even danger for them, so they left. Because that's what we do when our hopes are dashed, when things don't go as we plan, we move, we leave, we escape to something that helps us forget that our hopes were not met. As author Frederick Beekner said in his classic sermon on this text, where is your Emmaus? We all have one. Place that we go to when our hopes are defeated and we're not sure what to do next. Maybe it's Netflix or Apple TV or some other streaming service that has the nerve to ask us after four hours if we are still watching, right? Perhaps it's the bar where the booze flows or the candy aisle where the sugar numbs all the realities of life. Maybe it's the smartphone in your hand, the gaming system in your room, the online shopping cart, the online porn site, whatever helps us escape what we don't want to face in life. And maybe it's the pursuit of, well, you name it, right? Pursuit of love and wealth and power and hope and all kinds of things that only rob us of hope. That's where we head when we're discouraged and we don't know what to do 
next. So as these two walked and they talked, they were focused on their disappointment, their shattered hopes, their disappointed expectations, their pain and their grief, but then Jesus comes alongside them. Now Luke's narrative tells us that they didn't recognize Jesus. And we don't really understand or know what that means. Was it that they just couldn't see Jesus through all the fog of pain and disappointment and they just couldn't even believe that he might still be alive? Was there something that happened in the resurrection that changed his appearance or his voice that they couldn't recognize, one that they knew so well? Did he change his appearance on purpose for that moment, that window of time with them? Did Jesus show up in a mask, a bucket hat, and some really cool sunglasses just to be incognito? We don't really know, but here's what we know. That even though they didn't see Jesus, Jesus saw them. Jesus saw their pain. And he asked them questions. Again, not because Jesus doesn't know the answer, but because Jesus asks us questions to help us think through something, to help us grow from it. So he asked them as they travel, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? And Jesus asked them, what things? So the two proceed to tell Jesus everything that happened to Jesus. And then they say, but we had hoped. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel, to set us free from Rome. But he died. And it's been three days and nothing. And yes, the women saw him, but we didn't see him. And, and so that's it. That's what we're talking as we walk along the road. That we had had hope that we'd given up our lives for him. And now he's gone and we do not know what to do next. So we're headed back. See, these two disciples are often us, right? They believed, they had hope, they cared, but then something happened and it made that hope fragile and vulnerable. It shook them and they felt perhaps abandoned by Jesus. And they don't realize in the midst of all of that that Jesus is with them because their eyes are set on the situation and not the Savior. And how many times is that our story in life? But you know, even when they don't see Jesus, Jesus sees them. And on the road, they pour out all of their pain and Jesus explains it all to them again. His message of hope, the kingdom that he was announcing, he reframes it all with a new narrative that resonates somewhere in their hearts with something they'd heard before. When they arrived, at Emmaus, Jesus walks ahead as if he's going to keep walking, and they say, no, no, you need to stay with us. The Greek says it's so strong, it's like twisting someone's arm. Aggressively, they're like, you need to stay here. Maybe they knew how dangerous it is to go on ahead at night by yourself, or maybe they just were so enthralled by what he shared with them that he wanted to hear more. And so Jesus stayed because he had always hoped to stay. But you see, Jesus doesn't force himself on us, but he is always eager and ready for the invitation to be welcomed in. At the table, Jesus took the bread, blessed, broke, and gave it to them. And the scripture says at that point, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. 
You see, it was for them in caring for the stranger and practicing hospitality and sharing a meal together that they were able to finally recognize and see Jesus with them. After he vanished, they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? Now remember, they just walked seven miles to arrive at Emmaus, and the scripture says that immediately they got up and they returned back to Jerusalem. They walked back seven miles at night, filled with this news, and when they gather in Jerusalem, they find the other disciples. They hear that the risen Christ has made his appearance to Simon Peter, and they share their own stories of having encountered Jesus Christ. Their four-word story was changed from, but we had hoped, to, but we have hope. Some of us are walking the road today. We're carrying burdens, carrying disappointment, carrying broken hope. Some of you have placed your hope in something or someone that didn't pan out as you thought it would, and you're wondering, now what? Some of us are walking toward something or someone who takes us further away from the abundant life that God dreams for us and it is impacting us and those that we love. Friends, wherever you are, hope finds you. Hope finds you there. It finds us on the road weighed down by our burdens and by wounds from where we've been and the uncertainty of where we're headed next. And Jesus walks with us, invites us to name our disappointment, to tell him our sadness and our stories. And then Jesus reframes it in the beauty of his love and hope. And then he invites us to community and to share in the meal together, be nourished by him, and to tell our stories. Jesus perpetually sets the table for us and breaks bread and body for us, pours out blood and wine for us to nourish us with himself, to change our stories, but we had hoped, to we have hope. And as people of hope who have encountered the risen Christ, we're invited to do the very same thing for one another. We find people on the road and we walk with them. We invite them to share in their stories of pain and disappointed hopes with us. We open the scriptures together so that they can know the love and hope of Christ. We invite them to be part of a community of Jesus followers like this one that has stories to share of our own journeys where God has changed our stories. And we share like these young men did today about as they enter the baptismal waters, the stories of Jesus has changed in their lives through Jesus, through this church, through their families. And we go all out together afterwards to join God in partnering in the world and telling our stories and proclaiming the hope that we have in Christ, that wherever you are on your story, if it's one of because you had hoped, Jesus can change that to you have hope. I'm not going to make a friendly wager with you this morning, job security and all, but I want to ask you a question. What will be your four-word memoir at the end of your earthly journey? Will it be a story of walking with your eyes and heart focused on defeated dreams and shattered hopes 
a story of losing yourself in the things of this world that will continue to steal your hope? Or will your story be a story that Jesus met you on the road and you invited him to stay and he just transformed your despair into resurrection hope? What will be your four-word memoir at the end of this life? Will it be, but we had hoped? Or will it be, but we have hope? Let's pray together. God who journeys with us in life, who sees us, meets us, we give thanks for the story of these two in scripture who remind us that we can be honest with you about our disappointment, our fears, our shattered hopes. This morning, some of us need to hear that it's okay to name those with you rather than run from or silence them. God, some of us are far down the road into things that are life-taking rather than life-giving. We've been avoiding and numbing out for so long, so done with hope that we're not even sure that we can even believe in it again. God, we pray that you will reveal yourself to us. Open our eyes and our hearts to recognize you in the ways that you show up through your spirit, through your church, through your creation. Wipe the scales from our eyes and hearts, Jesus. We want to see you today and we want to declare we have hope and hope's name is Jesus. God of mercy and grace, we invite you to dwell with us always, to walk with us, to teach, nourish, and send us as we live as people of resurrection hope. And in the name of the risen Christ, we pray. Amen.